this is ContraZoom, where we go back and forth about film. I'm your host, Dakota Arsenault, and today's episode is presented by Aesthetic Magazine. Well, once again, we are covering the Toronto International Film Festival. The 45th anniversary of it just happened, and so I gathered together a group of two viewers who had seen a whole bunch of films, and we have a great conversation about it. They are uh, John Brody and Maria Escribano, and the two of them together saw just about all of the big films that they were able to see. It was a fantastic conversation. I unfortunately wasn't able to see any films this year. The festival uh, severely cut down the amount of press passes being given out due to the nature of the festival, the nature being that because of COVID-19, meant that there were mostly digital screenings, there were some in-person, some drive-in showings, things like that. But uh, yeah, they, they they cut down the amount of, of press passes handed out because there also were less tickets in general available. There was uh, caps on how many digital tickets could be bought for, for different films and, and what have you. But that did not stop me from following along in the news and seeing all the reviews coming in and having major FOMO for not seeing everything I could. That's where John and Maria come in and I get to live vicariously through them and enjoy the things that they enjoyed and uh, can't wait to see all the movies that they saw. So without further ado, let's uh, let's get to my conversation with John and Maria. Cassius Marcellus Clay is the new heavyweight champion of the world, boy. Yes, he is. And I don't even have yes, a scratch on my face. <laughs> oh my goodness. Cash. Cash? What? Cash, what? Why am I so pretty? Uh, <laughs> and I'm only 22 years old. There is no way I'm supposed to be this great. Look, Alexander the Great conquered the whole world at the age of 30, and yeah. I conquered the world of boxing at 22 <laughs> without sustaining so much as a scratch. That's right. <gasps> there he goes. You do the math. And now I am joined by John Brody and Maria Escrabano. Thank you so much for the both of you joining me. You both saw a ton of TIFF films, and so I'm really excited to hear your opinions on all of this. Of course, you two saw some overlapping movies, so I'm definitely curious to see how the two of you viewed those. But also, in going back to the TIFF preview episode that I put out a couple weeks ago, I made a list of the 10 movies I'm most excited about. There are some that you guys saw, so I'm definitely interested to see how those played out. So without further ado, John, thank you so much for joining me. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having me on, Dakota. I am very happy. This is actually your first TIFF, is it not? Yes, yes, this is my first TIFF. I you know, was, was getting very excited to make the trip out to Toronto, um, and then with all the coronavirus uh, things that have been happening around the world. Uh, it, was, it was sad when they canceled it, but I think I, I definitely wouldn't have attended even if they had, um, you know, not altered the festival in any way. But um, I was I was excited to um, see that I could still partake digitally, uh, which was made it pretty enjoyable. Very different experience, but, but still pretty enjoyable. Now, does it make you want to definitely come back in person one time? Oh, absolutely. I, I am... I'm holding out hope that uh, this time next year, things will be a little bit more um, calm and uh, under control with regards to COVID-19. 
but um, I'm not I'm not going to start buying tickets or or making hotel reservations quite yet. Uh, but I certainly will as soon as it's safe to do so. Um, yeah, the the experience um, it gave me a good sense of what it's like seeing the movies and what it's like um, trying to watch a lot of movies over a short period of time. But I think I really missed out on the the overall environment and excitement uh, that a festival brings with it. Absolutely. Now, Maria, thank you so much for joining as well. Is this your first TIFF or had you done it before? No. And and I actually can't recall when I first went, I would say 14 years Wow. because yeah, the first film I actually went to see was because a, a co-worker couldn't make it. So I got a free ticket. And it was After the Wedding with Mads Mikkelsen. Oh, so we're going to come back to that. <laughs> exactly. And I cried like a baby. And that was it. I was hooked and that was it. Wow. Okay. Well, that's yeah. excellent. I'm so glad that we have such a, a veteran tiffer here now to talk about that. That's really interesting. Now, this is the first year, obviously, as John, you were saying, due to COVID, all this stuff kind of, I don't know how to say it politely, but went to shit. Um, we had a mostly digital festival. There were some in-person mm-hmm. screenings. There were some drive-in screenings. John, I know you're not physically in Toronto. Maria, you are here in Toronto. Did you only do the digital stuff or did you also do some drive-in or in-person stuff? I only did one in-person uh, and it was for falling. Okay. And what was like the audience like? Was it Was it mostly empty? How were the safety precautions? It was um, it was at the light box and it was theater two. Um, no, John, theater two is about three hundred theater, um, but because of um, Toronto um, regula- regulations or guidelines, it was uh, limited to fifty patrons. So it felt empty, uh, and they did they did block off all the seats. So you know, quite anything with a, a white um, covering is is one that has been reserved, but it felt very empty. Um, it was fine when the, 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 the lights are down and you're watching the film, but um, they did have a bit of a Q&A at the back, at the, at the tail end of the film, and of course the intro, and it just didn't feel like a festival, right? It just felt like you're in a regular theater during a regular day. Mm. Sorry, if, um, I'm just uh, curious, did they accommodate kind of group seating or was it kind of one-on-one, like you had to sit on your own? What they had done was when you were purchasing purchasing tickets for in theater was um, they actually had blocked off seats already. You could either buy them singles or pairs. If by chance, um, you know, when you had logged on, they only had pairs available, you have to buy the pair. Whether you have a friend or not, too bad, so sad, you have to buy the pair. Um, so, yeah, it, it's, it's literally they blocked off the specific seats. I think you have a your, um, the row in front of you. Um, pretty much empty as well yeah it it, on your own it felt like there was felt like there was nobody there right it was surreal wow that's crazy uh yeah so that's definitely fascinating as we as i kind of mentioned I didn't have a press pass this year. Last year I did. This year I didn't. They significantly cut down the amount of press coverage. (laughs) And even though they were doing digital screenings, they still wanted less. Apparently that was due to the different distributors and film production companies that wanted less people watching it. I'm still not really completely satisfied with all of this. As far as the digital screening access and being able to buy tickets, did you encounter any problems, John? Yeah, so I mean... Again, the, the, the first um, problem or, or, or qualm I, I had with how they had this festival set up was that limited number of tickets for, for some of the films. And it didn't really seem 
consistent or maybe that was just um, a factor of, of reduced demand for other films. But it seemed like the films that had the highest demand were sold out before even, you know, most people were able to to purchase tickets for them. So I know um, there were one or two films I, I would have liked to see that um, when it was my turn or the window came up to, to purchase uh, digital tickets, they were sold out. And so, um, you know, I, I would have liked to see that. And then also the, the ticket ticket team system was a little clunky. It, it felt like, um, you know, I would have, I would have expected, I mean, I guess it's, it's hard to say, right. This is their first time doing it, uh, digitally and they were using uh, Ticketmaster. Um, they were using kind of the official like account manager Ticketmaster site. Um, but it just didn't feel like it was set up or fully tested to handle the sort of traffic that they received. I know when I was uh, purchasing tickets, uh, the day they went on sale, um, my cart was emptied you know, halfway through. And so I had to go through the whole process again. And I saw a lot of people online, you know, complaining, saying that they got cut off or that the window expired before they had a chance to, to purchase their tickets. And so fortunately I was able to get uh, tickets to all the films that I wanted to see, you know, after I had seen which ones had, uh, had been sold out. Uh, I would have been sad if one had sold out while I was trying to purchase them, but, but fortunately that didn't happen. Uh, so apart from, from those two two complaints, I would say it was relatively smooth and, and pretty easy. What about you, Maria? Did you have any pros and cons away the festival set up this year? Um, firstly, about ticketing issues, it's almost not TIFF if you don't encounter a ticketing issue. Because you always <laughs> expect that there's always going to be a problem. Now, I, I do have a bit of line of sight as to why they always have issues. I had participated in a forum a few years back that spoke to that, and that was you know, that was one of the pressing matters for them is making that ordering process much more seamless. Their challenge is, despite the fact they're using Ticketmaster, is it's not, they're the, it's the, it's, it's the type of sale they're managing. On a typical year, you're talking 300 films, multiple screenings, all of them being available all at once. So it was just, um, matter of volume, right? That the, the system itself, despite the fact that it's a big Ticketmaster engine, it's just not built that way, you know, because usually people argue about, you know, well, other concerts can manage it. Yeah, other concerts, but that's one, probably three nights and that's it. Theirs is, you know, it's, let's say another round, that's probably four, four screenings, different locations, different number of tickets per. So it's just, anyway, as I said, going back to that, as far as issues in getting tickets, um, over the years, I've become a member, which I found much makes it a little easier because you have a little advanced opportunity to get tickets in. But to, to John's point, um, two specific screenings were unavailable right at the outset, and that was Ammonite and Bruised. Um, mm-hmm. As far as I've heard, um, they were pretty much gone, um, even the top level of patrons. So, And that's part of, I think, the distribution um, agreement or contract negotiations on that front. So they were very limited. So I, knowing that, you know, knowing that, I already kind of crossed that off my list and moved on. <laughs> right? But not um, didn't have much difficulty. Um, and generally, they do open up the more popular tick, um, shows. They do provide additional screenings, which happen to falling in another round, if I'm not mistaken. And Nomadland, for that, for that matter. 
I know Ammonite, um, I, I had read they only had 2,000 tickets available for the, mm-hmm. for the digital screening of it. So I, I think that's why it was pretty much unavailable to, even to you know, members like yourself. I, I will say, I, I think it's um, definitely a great um, idea and something that they've been doing uh, for previous festivals is having that kind of tiered ticketing system, right? So, you know, uh, press, you know, on, on on Monday, maybe, and then members or a golden circle members, you know, on Tuesday, members on Wednesday, you know, and then general public, you know, by the time it gets to general pu- public, it should, you know, try and alleviate any of that stress that, that the ticketing system may encounter. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I guess without further ado, let's talk about some of the movies that you guys saw. I'm very excited. You both sent me gigantic lists of the movies that you saw. In fact, you know what, just so that people are aware of just how amazing you are, if you could kind of run down the movies that you saw, Maria, if you want to lead us off, if you have that in front of you. Sure. It was Shiva Baby, uh, Night of the King, The Way I See It, One Night in Miami, Another Round, I Care A Lot, Concrete Cowboy, Kovadis uh, Aida, The Father, 76 Days, New Order, The New Corporation, uh, The Unfortunately Necessary Sequel, and Good Joe Bell. And what about you, John? Uh, yeah, so so because I was uh, primarily or entirely digital, it was um, kind of dictated by the scheduling, but I did uh, The Way I See It, Gaza Mon Amour, Get the Hell Out, uh, Penguin Bloom, Under the Open Sky, Nomadland, Another Round, Shadow in the Cloud, One Night in Miami, and Concrete Cowboy. Well, as people have heard, then you had some crossover. So I figured the best place to start is where this crossover is. So I'm going to start with the first one, the way I see it, just because that wasn't one that made my top 10 list. So I'm very curious. I don't really know a lot about it. Uh, what can you tell me about this movie, John? I know what happens in the Oval Office. And that's what scares me. I come at this from a very unique perspective. Not just having been a journalist, but also having worked for two different presidents. Hey, folks. Hey, smile. Pete was with the president all the time. Unlike his predecessor, Mr. Trump does not allow his staff photographer to capture photographs of life and work inside the White House. If you just stacked up the images of the Obama presidency and the Trump presidency, you would see the two stories of America in the starkest possible contrast. Sure. So um, the way I see it, um, I would describe as as kind of being uh, broken up into three parts. Right. So it's a political movie. It's produced by MSNBC um, and it follows this uh the presidential photographer of, of Reagan and Obama. So Pete Souza, who was the, the official white house photographer. Um, and so, um, I, I described this movie in three parts because first part is pretty much a, a documentary about his life and, and photography, photographing these presidents. Um, and then through doing that and kind of telling us that story, they really go in depth um, on Obama and his presidency and kind of what he was like as a president and um, the, the, the crises and, and triumphs that he had when he was in office uh, from 2008 to 2016. Um, and then um, in the kind of last third of the movie, it kind of goes into um, Pete, the, the subject of the film, uh, his, his transition from this, 
um, kind of un, unopinioned um, photographer, you know, White House professional who, you know, kind of has to set his his political leanings aside to now that, you know, Donald Trump has, has been elected um, president, how he's kind of changed his views on the world and and has become very political and has, you know, created this Instagram account where, um, you know, he, he posts these photos with, with some snarky comments, basically, um, trying to enlighten the American people as to, you know, one, what a great president Obama was, and then two, kind of how Donald Trump isn't a president. He's not, you know, a Republican or a Democrat. He's just a bad person, period. And trying to the the movie does an excellent job in my mind of of contrasting the two and just showing how much um you can see of a person and uh, of a president through just the lens of a photographer right so most of the movie is just like a, a slideshow you know a ken burns slideshow of his pictures and they are so incredibly powerful i mean after watching i went up and I looked up some of these photos and I, and I just spent, you know, a few minutes looking at each one. And I mean, the, the photos he's taken of, of Obama are just remarkable. And you, you compare these to the uh, photos, official photos that have been released of Trump. And it's like, you don't get anything out of them. They're, they're posed. Um, you know, they, they talk in the movie about how, you know, Trump has, has recreated moments in his, in his presidency um, just for the sake of, of, this this photograph and that wasn't the case with Obama. He had unprecedented unprecedented <laughs> access of of Obama during during his presidency. I mean, going into I mean because he was his photographer when he was um, a senator um, in in the years prior to to the election in two thousand eight, and so he was able to to capture and form this relationship uh, with Obama that that just no other presidential photographer had really had really done before him so i you know that i guess that's a description of the movie and i i <laughs> put in some of my opinions there i don't know if that was what you were looking for <laughs> I, I appreciate a little bit of the freudian slip in there maria how did this movie work for you as far as a documentary did it accurately capture what john was describing there yes and i loved it totally loved it um i i, I think a little bit of backstory when i when the schedule first came out for the films. I did a quick read, did my short list and never looked back. So a lot of the movies when I watch them is, is always a surprise because I don't remember what they were about. For this one, I, I just assumed it was a bit of a look back, you know, a little, a little you know, um, uh, walk down memory lane of the Obama history of the Obama presidency. Didn't quite expect the political bent of the movie, um, but it was... What I think was good was it provided a lot of context on a lot of the photos he's provided. So there are a lot of popular photos that you know a lot of us may have recognized, but the, the documentary the documentary kind of spoke to what was happening, what 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 was happening minutes before that, what was potentially Obama hearing, why did he have that look? So it was really really good insight as to what was happening, and and I think what was kind of speaks to um, Pete's kind of thought on being more political now was his comment of, I know what happens in those rooms. And to know that this man is in that room right now and making those decisions, he goes, it's, he, you know, back to John's point, he's not the right guy. Mm-hmm. So it makes you think of just the access. He must have heard a lot of stuff. And for him, who's not in, even in the political game to say that, it's, it's, you know, it was a little scary, yeah. <laughs> right? But it was, 
great documentary. I truly, truly recommend anybody to see it. And, and back to John's point, just for the photos themselves, you know, if you want to take politics aside, it great, great. If you're big into art, excellent, excellent work. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I, I do a bit of concert photography on the side. And so when I'm, you know, photographing bands, uh, usually afterwards I get out of the photo pit and so I was like, so how was it? I was like, I wasn't even really listening. You know, I was just trying to get the right image and stuff like that. And then sort of, I can go back later and reassess how I felt. And that's sort of how I feel listening to you. You know, Peter must've felt while he was photographing Obama, you know, it's just a job. I'm just here to do a job, but then he can go back later and reevaluate everything, especially considering where things are now. And, and that must truly form his opinion and be quite, uh, a moment of revelation for him. Yeah. And it's also really interesting. I thought the way they structured it, right. It doesn't really become that politically charged until like the last third of the film. Right. And so, and I think it's incredibly important that they have that in there and that it, it, it is given so much screen time because, you know, we're going into October right now. And, and for the American people to see a film like this prior to the election, I think is going to be very important. And I think you know, the that release timeline is very intentional. Um, so I think this movie, you know, will remain and 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 will continue to be looked on as a a great capture of this incredible photographer and of a remarkable president. Um, and I think that kind of um, you know urgency uh, that we need to do something about this issue um, that is in the the later half of the film you know you could watch this in five years and maybe leave that part out or or kind of stop watching you know around when that kicks in because it it might lose some of its prevalency um in in later years interesting now not to not to cut you guys too short there's three movies now that you both saw that ended up making my preview list uh they are nomadland another round in concrete cowboy uh, Maria, let's start with you. Nomadland. Let's, uh, let's talk about that one a little bit. Sure. Um, again, it's one of those where I heard a bit of talk. I think I bought, the, I bought ticket to it the day before even won Venice. So it, there was some talk about that, about um, the film itself, but it was an interesting year in the life of, of a woman who lived in her van, uh, and how she finds a community through that year who kind of shared her lifestyle and, and thought on life itself. It was, I think it was a mo- It wasn't intended that way, but it was the movie of the time, right? I think it resonates because a lot of us, particularly through COVID, the pandemic lockdown, a lot of us probably were feeling some of the emotion she's showing because she was very isolated in many respects. She lived alone. You know, you learn to be kind of, your own entertainment and self-sufficient that way. So I think it's, it's definitely great timing as far as release. I don't, again, they, I don't think they was intended to be that way, but it is, it definitely resonates. That's right? Resonates for now. Yeah. What about you, John? Yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree. I, when I uh, chose to see this film, I don't think there was a, a lot of buzz around it, um, but I definitely, you know, recognize Francis McNormand. I mean, you, she's she's a heavy hitter and 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 to see a piece like this i mean it, this is essentially a character piece right we're following her and on her journey kind of across the united states and you know in becoming a nomad and it's it's really uh i i think 
her performance in it was fantastic, but I also think the way it was shot, it was just these incredibly gorgeous uh, landscape shots, uh, just time and time again. And I was just, I was every time it was a new landscape. I was just sitting there in awe being like, gosh, how do you, how do you find these shots? Where are they filming these um, shots that, that are just gorgeous and absolutely beautiful. So for those two reasons, yeah, I, I, I was very happy I did get to see this and I, I, I really enjoyed watching it. And, and just to add to that, I think this is a film that really would, would, is really best seen in the big screen because just, again, it's cinematography itself, right? It, I think it would just, mind you, it leaves, it leaves an impression already, but I can just imagine if you saw this in the big screen, lights down, full house, it, it would have, it would be awe-inspiring. And I, the other thing I was going to mention is, if, if I'm not mistaken, maybe John could correct me on this one if, if I'm going the wrong way, but some of the characters that she meets along the way are true nomads who do live that lifestyle. So it, it, it added some realism to, to the story itself. Now, you don't find that out until later on when you look at the credits, but yeah, it, it was yeah fantastic film. Yeah, no, you're, you're, you're definitely correct. And, and I, um, the way, sorry, we never talked about this, but the way I was viewing those, not the biggest screen, but I do have a projector set up in my living room. And so all of these I was watching on, I'd say like a hundred inch uh, screen lights off, obviously. However, this might be a good time to, to talk a little bit about one of the limitations of the streaming platform they use um, is that through the, they have these counter piracy measures um, that they that they have in place, you know, to prevent people from copying them and uploading them illegally online. And one of those is by shifting some of the colors in all of the films, and it's not really noticeable unless you move your mouse while the stream is going on. But um, it's pretty much only on whites and blacks, and it shifts the blacks to be more red, and it shifts the whites to be more blue. And so it was a really interesting uh, thing we noticed, you know, when we were trying to move the mouse around or pause, the, the colors were changing. Like, oh, wow, that looks totally different. Um, and by about the fourth or fifth movie in a dark room when it was like a pretty red tent, we we're like, if every room seems to be red for some reason, <laughs> like have these red lights. And then we put it together. We're like, wait a minute. Like, that can't be how it's actually filmed. Interesting. Uh, now, speaking of the fact that you both were highlighting the cinematography, it was done by Joshua James Richards. He did Chloe, Chloe Zhao's previous movie, The Rider, and also Francis Lee's last movie, God's Own Country, who did Ammonite. And he is working not as a cinematographer, but in the camera department of Chloe Zhao's follow-up, the Marvel movie Eternals. So I do not think this is going to be the last time we are going to be seeing some fantastic images from Joshua James Richards. All right, so the next movie that you both saw was the Mads Mikkelsen Another Round, which was definitely getting a lot of buzz this festival. Uh, Maria, what were your thoughts on that film? I, I, was, I thought it was going to be the dark horse. Um, in many respects, loved it. No, mind you, I have a history with Mads, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I've seen a lot of his films through the years through TIFF. So I knew he was going to deliver. Um, I saw, also saw The Hunt, which both of them, uh, which the director and Mads actually had collaborated on before, and loved that film as well. I cried like a baby on that one, too. Um, so with this one, I thought it was a very interesting premise, right? The whole idea of a, it's almost like a social test around alcoholism, 
right? That there is a certain level where you everything is heightened, that you might be slightly inebriated, but you're actually, you know, um, able to um, optimize all your faculties and, and excel. Really, really interesting. Again, I was it was a you know not not knowing what it was about because I completely forgot um, the the summary. It was it was great, greatly acted. In, I think I think what stood out for this one is a lot of the films were good, um, well executed. This one one had an interesting concept to start with, so that's why it's 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 something that um, um, spoke to me, shall we say, because it was different. It's it starts a conversation. I think that's what it is. It's a, a conversation starter. Now it's interesting, John, because in th- this is this is one of the few movies that actually has a trailer. The m- trailer sort of starts out fairly lighthearted. You know, it starts out with this concept of how much alcohol can you drink and still perform in your daily life like a functioning alcoholic. But then obviously it starts showing the downside effects as well, where it looks like things get a little bit darker. Is this the case of your? I don't want to say typical European movie, but the sort of films where you really do get that clash of both lighthearted element and much more darker personal element as well where it's really blending the comedy and drama together successfully yeah i mean i i, I would say I, I certainly um would agree with that i think it starts off as this kind of you know it, it actually starts off kind of kind of in a in a sad place a little bit i mean your your, your main character the character played by nads is you know this this teacher uh, i think a, a high school history teacher who's who's not really enjoying life um, he's not really getting the fullest out of it and so this experiment kind of starts off as, a, as an opportunity for him to try and um, discover you know what it is to live again and, and, and be more energized in his day-to-day life and and so it then goes into that sort of light-hearted nature that you were talking about um, and what I think what what I really liked about the film is it didn't really try and offer some some like moral, um, what is right, what is wrong message at the end of the film. It kind of went, we, we saw them kind of go through this experiment and uh, they took the experiment as the, as the trailer suggests to, to the next level, um, which, you know, has very entertaining results, but it sort of shows that, that every alcohol, um, and especially at these levels affects everyone differently. Um, and it, it affected the four, you know, main characters in different ways and their response to those, um, to those changes uh, is really interesting to see play out, but they don't, the film doesn't try and force this message, you know, down your throat that alcohol is bad and, and overusing it and becoming a functioning alcoholic is not a good thing. It's more of just showing you how these characters respond to the changes. Um, and so I, I really like that aspect of it. It, it. it caught me off guard, like subverted my expectations. I, I, I saw the movie going in a certain direction and it, it didn't, it just kind of, it, it, it just went and it was uh, really enjoyable to see it was, I mean, this is also, uh, I would agree with Maria. My, I saw the description of this movie and I said, I, I have to see this. I mean, it just sounds so absurd, but uh, I mean, it just, they, they executed it perfectly. Um, so the so one, I certainly, yeah. 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 The one thing I was going to add is it's an interesting insight to the Danish attitude to alcohol because they'll talk about it. And here are high school, high school kids drinking like what 30 bottles of beer in a weekend it, it was just and it, it was a top a natural topic of conversation in his class it, it was as i said it was an interesting insight to that to that 
um, that attitude. Because it's different in North America, right? It's a very different um, concept in North America as far as alcohol. You can't drink up until, you know, 18 or 19, depending on where you are. But there it seems open and honest. Go ahead. Do it on a weekend. It's a game. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think I think seeing the European perception of it, too, was was great because I, you know, I have I have English family and, and they certainly view alcohol in a totally different light. But I think the Danish people, right, the, the few Danes I know, it's like a whole nother level. It's like it's totally normalized in their culture. Um, and so it was really interesting to see that film come out of Denmark. Um, and it, uh, you know, it was acted brilliantly. I, it was just fantastic performances across the board. Yeah, as a fan of, of Thomas Vinterberg and, and Mads Mikkelsen's last collaboration, The Hunt, that, that was previously mentioned, I'm definitely very excited about this. Now, the next movie that appeared on my list was Concrete Cowboy, the Idris Elba starring film. John, I love to sort of get your thoughts on this. This is one that I really only had a description for. There were some still photos that came out about this in this sort of... Uh, urban cowboy has sort of come to light in the last few months because we've seen uh, black Americans show up at protests on their horses in these bigger cities like Detroit. So I'm really interested to see how this film actually played out in, in sort of showing a slice of life that we, as far as I'm aware, most people don't really know about. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it, it's certainly, to, to me at least, the, the film did a great job of exposing exactly what you were talking about, these, these urban cowboys that, that exist in, in major cities across the United States that um, most people didn't even know existed, but, but have been, you know, around for you know, more than 100 years, you know, providing um, an outlet sort of to these individuals to, you know, avoid, you know, poverty or violence or, um, you know, it's, it's more of providing them with a, a safe haven, you know, as these cities experience uh, sort of like gentrification, I would say. Um, and so uh, I think from from a story perspective, the, the movie did a great job of, of giving us that story and and and, and bringing uh, bringing us up to date kind of with with that and how it's been going on. Um, I will say I didn't. Um, I thought the film uh, dragged out a little bit towards the end. It didn't really feel like um, it didn't. It didn't feel like it needed to be as long as it was um, to to get across the message that they were trying to share. And I also felt like Idris Elba, who was the the star of the film, um, he was pretty underutilized. He was what he the scenes he was in. I think he, he gave a great performance, but um, I think. Uh, they just didn't. They just didn't write that much for him, and uh, it left me kind of wanting more at, at the end of the film. Was it more of an ensemble film than a character piece towards about him? Um, well, certainly. I mean, for Caleb McLaughlin, who played the the he's the you may know him from from Stranger Things, plays Lucas in Stranger Things. Um, he was sort of the the main character of the mm -hmm. film. I know um, all the descriptions online didn't quite uh, capture that. But so he's the, the main focus. And I think he gives a, a fine performance. I'm, uh, I, I tend to be a little harsh with, with child actors um, just because, you know, they don't have the years of training that, that uh, you know, adult actors have. And, and so I feel like every time I see a, a, a adequate performance, I'm like, ah, you know, it wasn't very good compared to Idris Elba, you know, this all star. Uh, so. Uh, no, he gave he gave a, a a great performance, but the the film did focus more on him than I think I would have preferred. 
Are um, you mixed on this movie too, Maria, or or do you feel differently? I hated it. Whoa. It, okay. It, yeah. I love this. It just didn't work for me. Okay. I think that's what it was. Pairing aside the whole idea of the cowboy and, and to your point, the urban cowboy, it is a very typical story. You know, here's this troubled child, you know, being sent off, being sent off pretty much to, to live with this dad who he barely knows. Um, and then it's, it's this coming of age story and him kind of finding his way, shall we say. It, it, it was just, I think you're right. It was, it was dragging. It was slow. Um, and I just, yeah, it did. It just didn't work. I couldn't put my finger on it, but it couldn't hold my attention. That's part of the problem. And then what really, what I thought was, was interesting is similar to Nomadland, some of the characters they have or secondary characters in the movie are true cowboys who actually are true urban cowboys. And I thought, sadly, that actually would have been a much more interesting film if they left it as a documentary. Right. So instead of instead of trying to overlay it with a story, which I I just didn't think worked well. Caleb did a good yeah. job for what for what he was given, but this it just it just didn't work for me. Yeah, I I completely agree. I think it would have functioned a lot better as a documentary. Um, it, you know, the the story basically added nothing, being that it was you know uh, a coming of age story that we've seen a thousand times. That's sort of interesting. It sort of reminds me a little bit of what you were wishing it would be more like Chloe Zhao's last movie, The Rider. I don't know if either of you saw that, but it's more focusing on the actual cowboys and how they live their day-to-day life in a modern world as opposed to what this movie sort of went. Uh, All right. And then another film that uh, I believe only, John, you saw. I know we're going to talk a little bit more about awards later on, but Gaza Mon Amour actually won one of the awards. Uh, so I'd love to get maybe just some, some quick thoughts that you have on that. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, this was, I think the second film I saw and, uh, it's interesting. I didn't, I didn't love it, but I did really enjoy kind of the, the tone of the film. It was this kind of very dark film. Um, not, not dark as in tone, but dark as in, it was dark pretty much the entire time. Um, but it was this kind of very deadpan humor at times and rom-com at others and drama. And it was just flowing really naturally from, from genre to genre. And um, I mean, the, the premise, uh, you know, this, this man finds a, a fisherman, you know, finds this, this statue, you know, one day while fishing. And so that's kind of the, the B plot. And then the A plot is him trying to um, trying to find this, this, woman who he's fallen in love with when he passed on the street. Um, you know, that's, that's a very traditional story that we're, we're used to, but it's, it's also set in this incredibly unique, you know, world of, of the Gaza Strip, you know, a world unlike anything else, anything that we experience. So, so seeing how this traditional, you know, romantic partial drama, partial comedy uh, plays out, but in that, in that world is, is very fascinating. Um, to, to see, I, I, I enjoyed it. Um, didn't love it, but, um, I, I enjoyed the kind of feel I had while watching it. Interesting. So this won the NetPack Award, which is the network for the promotion of Asian cinema. So it's definitely interesting to see mm-hmm. that that's how it went out. Now, there was a bunch of movies that were on my top 10 most interesting list that Maria, I believe you saw now. John, correct me if I'm wrong. Did you see One Night in Miami or no? 
I did. Yep. Okay. I don't think that was in my email, but uh, then we'll talk about that one first. So that is one that I was very excited about just on the idea alone. Interestingly enough, a few years ago, I actually uh, acted in a play that Steve Martin wrote uh, called Picasso at the La Panagio. And it basically posits this idea of what would happen if Albert Einstein and Pablo Picasso, who both lived in Paris at the exact same time, if they got together to talk about life, philosophy, art, all those sorts of things. And I see the subject line of one night in Miami directed by Regina King. And I'm like, this is the exact same thing. And it is so needed right now because it features some fantastic African-American actors playing uh, characters like uh, Muhammad Ali and Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X and uh, Joe Brown. And so please tell me, is this as much as great as I hope it is? Maria? It was it was good. It was very good, actually. Um, it felt very, uh, it felt like a theater production, mm-hmm. or it would be good to adapt to a theater. I don't know if it started off that way, but it sure felt it, right? The, the way that um, uh, I, um, a lot of the conversation really seemed to revolve around the Sam Cooke character and Malcolm X, from my recollection. And part of that was really the, and a lot of the conversation was about the use of their voice. Right here, we have an opportunity. All of us have a platform. We really need to push a certain agenda forward. Um, so I thought it was again, it was a, co- a good conversation piece. Good, another good film for the times because it really raises a lot of questions, uh, particularly around the Black Lives Matter kind of conversations. It, it, so it, it was really, really, it's a thinking man's movie, I think, because it's one of those where you need to let it settle. Like a lot of the conversations that happen, you really need to let it settle. You need to walk away and have a conversation with other folks um, because you'll find that, you know, I, I, I thought um, Sam Cook's character who says a lot of the advances that we need, that we are doing really should be being um, successful and independent. I don't need to speak for the black people in many respects. In my, my opportunities that I've taken advantage of to be successful is enough. Like that's, that's me kind of moving, moving our cause forward. But Malcolm X was of a, dif- of a different front, obviously, you know, it's, it's more of being more outspoken, you know, getting the word out about our concerns. Um, so it was, as I said, it was it really, it's a thinking man's um, movie, not, not to dissuade people, you know, from seeing it, but it, I think it's, it's definitely worthwhile to watch in the environment we're in. I think we've long sort of looked at the debate of how would Martin Luther King and Malcolm X sort of, we, we know that they, they definitely had conversations and wrote letters to each other and had uh, philosophical difference while also having philosophical similarities. So it's definitely interesting to sort of have a writer write the characters of what would happen if we can see them having a debate. So I'm really interested and curious to see about that. How did it all play out for you, John? Yeah, so I'll, I'll just add a few a few things that I, I had written down right here. Um, one, it was actually um, this is adapted from from a stage play uh, mm. that uh, Kemp Powers did in, in 2013, and I think I completely agree with you. I mean, it is most of the film is set in this uh, motel room, so it, it would function incredibly well as as a, as a play on stage. Um, and then the other thing I was uh, I was going to say is. Um, you know, this is like very much like the what if, what if these four um, incredibly important people at the time, you know, were in a room together and what would that conversation look like? And I think um, the the interesting thing I was reading about it earlier today was that, you know, these 
people were friends, you know, at the time in, in 64, these four were friends and probably had a conversation that looked very similar to the type of conversations we saw in the film. I think this movie, you know, really does a good job of capturing, you know, what it would have looked like to be a fly on the wall for one of those con for a night, you know, in Miami, uh, to kind of experience and, and hear those conversations. So it's, it's, I, I like the, the thinking of it as like a what if, um, but I think it, it's very plausible that this this type of um, you know story could have unfolded the way we saw it. Um, I I think um, it's it's incredibly important right now. This this type of film it could not be more more relevant um, to to Americans um, and to the world. I think to kind of see what this you know because it, because it, it does a good job of of showing what racism looked like in 64 and i think what's very troubling at least what was very troubling to me while watching it is it sounds so similar to what people are experiencing today i mean it, the 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 problems there's there's a great monologue um given by uh kingsley ben adir who plays uh malcolm x uh where he talks about what uh black americans are experiencing on a day-to-day -day basis and it, it goes on I mean, I, I was discussing with with one of the friends I saw this with how that um, that monologue was probably extended, you know, after the script was written, after all everything that has been going on this year, you know, with the Black Lives Matter movement and, and the protests, and and I think it's incredibly important to do so. I think it was a it was a really powerful scene, and so I mean, I think for that reason alone, this this movie was was really enjoyable, and it's definitely. The thinking man, like like Maria, you were saying, is a, is a thinker. the The entire time, I was just like the entire from start to finish, I was just contemplating all these different, um, you know, situations in my head and 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 trying to go through what um, you know people in America have to experience every day and hearing them talk about it, hearing them talk about the challenges on how they use their voice. You know, you have you know a very young Muhammad Ali, you have um, you know Malcolm X, who's going to be you know killed a year later i think it's 65 so um and you have sam cook who's who's got probably one of the largest voices of them all and how they can use their voices to try and try and change the way things are going um it it is really really interesting um and, and i'm um i will also say i mean regina king i think this was her directorial debut mm -hmm. uh, fantastic I, I think uh you know she she did a great job of holding holding the the viewer's attention from start to finish. Um, and this this is certainly something that I think I could have seen dragged out. You know, I, I could have seen them added about another hour of dialogue for this for this type of movie. And I think you know she it was it was timed really well. Well, I'm, I'm very excited to see this now, Maria. There's three more movies that you saw that made my list. I just want to get your your, your short reactions. If you have anything positive or negative to say about Falling, The Father, and Good Joe Bell, those are ones I was sort of curious to see how they would play out at this festival. Sure, um, I'll start with my favorite of the lot. I love The Father. Right, um, I, I I almost it's top three, if not the best that from my list. Uh, it was well acted. I mean, it's Anthony Hopkins and Olivia Coleman. You can't go wrong. <laughs> and I think, and I think the other aspect of that is it, it was a really, really good script. And that I know was based off of a play. And it's again, it's very apparent. It, it goes back to it's, it's set in again um, a specific apartment. Well acted. There's a lot of a lot of um, 
not imagery, but um, a, a lot of the conversation is about time, right? Because again, the concept of the father is Olivia Coleman taking care of his uh, her dad who has dementia. So I, I thought it was funny because he keeps on losing his watch. So it's about time, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, again, well acted, well executed. I think it's I think it's um, if not nomination, he uh, this could be another one for Anthony Hopkins. Really, really well done. Well. Gwen! I said This is a plane. Mom's not here. Stop looking at me. How was your trip out here, Daddy? Who cares? Now, I'll, I'll speak about the falling, or rather falling, because it's very similar. Um, it's Viggo Mortensen's directorial debut um, about caring for his dad, who also is kind of having... Um, dementia or going through dementia. I think it was a, a good effort, but I, I it 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 wasn't that great. Mm. Um, it was just okay. I think part of the problem is it's because you could compare it to the father very easily, and I think part of the challenge was I think they needed just to push things a little further. Mm. Um, I um, the the I forget his name unfortunately. I think it's Eric Henriksen. Um, who played um, Vigo's dad? He did um, he did crotchety man really well, like really he did it. You hated him the first ten minutes, and and the sad part is that was it. You know there was no redeeming factor to the character, which I think I would have just um, would would have it, it done it's done the character a bit of a disservice because he again without any redeeming factor the fact that he's going through this you don't feel for him as much right because he was just so unlikable so if I think they had tried to push and showing it a bit more of an emotion that I think they tried I think that's the challenge is there were moments where you you could see that was the intention. But I think, you know, part of that was his interaction with his granddaughter. I think he, they needed just to push it further, meaning he just needed to show a lot more doting, a lot more, a lot more love, shall we say? Because without that, you know, it's almost a sure just, just disappear. I could really care less, mm-hmm. right? Because they, no redeeming factor. And the, the last one was... Good Joe Bell. I forget. Good Joe Bell. Um, I had no... I, I, didn't recall the story it was based off of, but in many respects, it's about Joe Bell walking across America, um, walking to New York, um, the city that his son wanted to move to, um, in tribute to his son who um, had committed suicide because he was bullied. Right. Uh, I think it was it was well done, um, but I think I would have liked the story of the son more. Um, at least when they were showing their interactions, his story, a little bit of, um, you know, showing a little bit of introduction of what what he had to deal with. I thought that there was a lot more raw emotion around that. I think you'll walk away with, with you know, some impactful scenes there. But um, on the whole, I think Mark Wahlberg actually did well. You know, he, I know he's, yeah, he did well for what he was given. I know there was a lot of controversy as well with Mark Wahlberg taking on this role, considering it was made by the folks who did Brokeback Mountain, and he had he had some commentary about Brokeback Mountain before. 
So I know there was a bit of controversy there, but I, I thought he did well. Um, I just didn't think it just felt like a road trip, you know, like a little road trip movie. But I, I thought, you know, there, there was a lot more meat in, in the Sun story. But having said that, I thought it was it, it, it's decent enough film. Yeah, this was this was the one that I I wouldn't say I was excited about. It was one I was more curious about because the fact that, as you said, it was written by the two writers of Brokeback Mountain, Larry McMurtry and Diana Osana, made me sort of curious about how they would adapt this story. And then Mark Wahlberg, every movie sort of becomes the Mark Wahlberg show. And he isn't really great at showing subtle emotions. I wasn't too sure how that would all sort of come together so this was the movie i included on my list not that i was excited to see but i was curious to see how it would turn out does mark Wahlberg has it in him to turn in a truly uh magnificent performance and i do you have an answer to that yeah no but i think i think he did he did he did well considering it's mark Wahlberg. i think that's one of the things <laughs> damning the faint praise the one, yeah the one thing I, that is telling though gary sinise is also in the movie very, very short, short scene, um, if not, you know, maybe five, 10 minutes. And he, I mean, for those few minutes, he, he pretty much blew Mark Wahlberg out of the water. He, there was a lot more emotion for those short, short scenes that he had coming from Gary Sinise than Mark Wahlberg did for the entire movie. But as I said, he did well considering he's Mark Wahlberg. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, that doesn't shock me completely. All <laughs> right. Uh, John, you know, I'm going to throw it over to you. There's no other movies that appeared on my preview, but is there some that either we should maybe be aware of or do you think are going to make buzz, be a box office hit? What, what do you have on your list that, uh, that you think we should be talking about still? Sure. Yeah. So – you know, I, I, one thing I did that, uh, you know, I, I don't know, Maria, if, if you did uh, as well. I mean, you're, you're a seasoned uh, TIFF veteran, but I uh, selected a couple of Midnight Madness uh, uh, pr premieres. And so those kind of were really nice just in giving me a taste of something completely different, right? These are movies I would never go out and see, um, you know, otherwise. But um, I think, you know, in that Midnight Madness context, we're, we're really... <laughs> <laughs> were really enjoyable, right? So um, one one I saw that I, I just I'd be remiss if I didn't mention uh, was uh, Shadow in the Cloud, uh, and 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 this is the one with Chloe Grace Moretz, um, and and she, I mean it's 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 a totally wacky um, uh, movie just from start to finish, right? We we open with the shot of her on a runway, and we have this electro synth music. It feels very Stranger Things esque. It's very dark. It's very gritty. Um, and then she gets onto this plane, and she's getting completely assaulted and berated by by um, by these these misogynistic comments from these from these men. And then you know she goes in and has this whole uh, exposition about you know what she's doing and why this is all important for her. and they just turn like they dial it up to 11 and it's this total like action blockbuster that you'd expect to see in like a fast and furious movie so i mean it's all over the place um and and you know plot wise pretty weak uh you know the the visual effects were also pretty weak the music was was fantastic um you know the script i think had undergone a lot of rewrites um due to um due to some some distancing that they were trying to do from from max landis i know he wrote the original script and mm -hmm. and during the me too movement they kind of chucked him chucked him off and and i think rightfully so but 
um, it kind of left the script in, in what I would consider to be rough, rough shape. Um, but it was just a, a, a totally wild ride. And so, so I don't know if that will, um, you know, be picked up or, or hit theaters anytime soon, but, uh, if you're, if you're ever looking for something just totally wacky and out there, I would, I, I would recommend that. Uh, but, but with that, you know, massive asterisk, right. You know, don't <laughs> go into this expecting, you know, a well-written masterpiece. This is a, a wild film. Um, and then, uh, another one that, that I think I would, I would like to mention probably would be, uh, under the open sky. Um, and this was, uh, a film about, uh, an ex Yakuza member, who basically uh, gets released from being in prison for, I think, 13 years or so, and is trying to um, kind of re um, be- become part of society and kind of um, find himself and also just become more comfortable with kind of the world as it's changed over the course of 13 years. And um, I mean, the, the acting was, was, was fine, but I think what I really liked about it was it was just a beautiful movie. I mean, every single shot was very well framed. The coloring was, was beautiful. And um, you know, it, it, it was telling, I mean, you know, it was telling a a pretty, um, a a pretty, pretty typical story. I mean, a story we've seen told before, but I think just the way they did it, it was, it felt very artistic and it made it, uh, made my, my, uh, viewing of it very enjoyable. Um, you know, it, you could see where it was going, uh, basically after the first 15 minutes, but there were still aspects of it that would make you chuckle or make you cry. And, and I think, you know, when a film does that, it's always, it's always worth checking out. Um, and so, um, you know, also, um, this, this might be a fair time to mention a, a couple of, I would say half of these movies that I saw were, or in a foreign language. So there was a lot of reading going on. Um, and this was this, <laughs> which is fine. I'm, I'm told, I, I enjoy seeing foreign language films and, and I think there's a lot of really great ones out there. And I think this is one that is, is very worthwhile. You know, if you're, if you're not trying to watch movies that aren't in English or aren't in your native language, because of that reason, I think this is one where you should put that aside and, and watch it because there, there isn't too much dialogue and, you know, it's, it's not that hard to keep up. It's very easy um, on the eyes to just watch and just enjoy this movie. I mean, you could watch this movie basically on mute and just enjoy it for, for how beautifully it's shot. Wow. Uh, Wow, that's awesome to hear. All right, well, I think we're going to kind of start to wrap things up a little bit. They came out with the award. We are recording on uh, September 20th, which is the day they announced all the awards. And the People's Choice, which is basically the front runner for who is going to be at least nominated for the Oscars, if not win Best Picture, we've got the winner being Nomadland, the runner-up being One Night in Miami, and then the third place being Beans. Unfortunately, neither of you were able to see Beans, so you can't comment on that. But I'd love to get your takes. Are you happy with the fact that uh, Nomadland is the winner? If not, what would you have chosen? John, I'll start with you. Yeah, you know, um, I think I'm, I'm, I'm very happy with Nomadland winning and, and also being now a front runner for, for certainly a Best Picture nomination. And I think uh, probably going to be a, a, a director nomination for, for Chloe Zhao. Um, this, you know... It was like, as we discussed earlier, it was um, a, a great, a, a movie that did an excellent job of telling the story of a, of a woman, you know, and her journey across America, you know, over this year during troubling economic times. And, um, you know, it was beautifully shot. The sound, the score was, was phenomenal. Um, the, 
as I mentioned earlier, the landscape shots were, were completely stunning. And so, um, I think this, uh, will definitely, uh, will, will definitely, uh, do well come, come award seasons. And I, and I hope it gets the, the nominations it deserves. I think, um, Frances McDormand definitely deserves a, a best actress nomination for this, for this film. Interesting. So out of all the movies you've seen, would you have picked Nomadland to be your people's choice nominee or winner? Ooh, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely the, the crowd favorite, um, a personal, I probably would have picked another round as, as my, uh, my choice. Um, but, but I, I definitely think this has more commercial appeal, um, for, for the general audience. Interesting. What about you, Maria? What are your thoughts on, on this? Um, I think as the winner, I'm not surprised. It is a great film. And I think to John's point, it is going to do well in the Oscars. I think it's going to do well for Best Director, Best Actress, considering, you know, Frances McDormand really, really kind of anchored this film. She did a great job. And and Best Picture. So no surprise there. I think it's well-deserved. However, um, you know, I I was hoping for another round. Um, Again, because it's it's just so unique. And it really was... It, it did well. And, and, you know, the, the, the story is unique, but it still got its point across without being too preachy. And the father is also there. Like if that, if that kind of came out, as, you know, the father was well done. Also one of my top three. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's well-deserved it'll, and it'll do well. Um, the, the other thing I think is just an opportunity to comment as well is because of the streaming platform. Um, I wonder if this had happened through TIFF, um, if other because before tweets would have gone out the minute the movie was over screening, just, you know, you, you know, and then the word will go out, no, this movie's great. A lot more people will try and get the film. Mm-hmm. And then just the buzz would kind of push some movies forward. Considering it was streaming, a lot of things were diffused, right? Like, you know, somebody will watch it at six, send out a tweet then. Somebody will watch it at nine and nine tomorrow morning, and then they'll, they'll have the same comment. So I wonder if some other films, like Another Round and The Father, just lost a lot of that momentum because they didn't have the mass population just kind of pushing it out there. Nomadland did well in other, I think it, it got a lot of word of mouth with the other um, festivals. And I wonder if it took it to, it took that momentum over to TIFF as well. Mm-hmm. But it's a great film. I'm not going to take anything away from it. I'm just wondering if things would have been different if we were under, you know, normal, shall we say normal circumstances with air quotes. I feel like we need to briefly talk about the elephant in the room, and that's Ammonite. I know tickets were super limited. That was the big, buzzy movie going into it because it basically seems like it's an English-language adaptation of Portrait of a Lady on Fire where it sounds like it's almost plot for plot the exact same film just with Kate Winslet and Saoirse Ronan as the leads. Did you? Did either of you hear anything about this? Do you have any thoughts about the reactions to this? Because it's been pretty muted and I would say extremely underwhelming. Yeah, I would say from from everything I've heard, uh, underwhelming is a is a pretty good way to describe it. I mean, I this was the number one on my list uh, because for uh, for me, Portrait of a Lady on Fire was my favorite film of 2019. It was it it blew me away when I when I saw it, and I had no qualms with it being in French. I thought that added to the beauty of it. Um, so seeing an English ad- adaptation, I was very excited. I, I think Kate Winslet probably um, delivers a, an excellent performance, but I I can't speak to that so um i will have to wait and say and one thing i will just add maria that i found pretty interesting um uh nomadland uh has a really beautiful score i I picked up on this while watching it's almost entirely piano 
throughout the film. I mean, there, there's uh, very, very little um, kind of l lyrics in any of the music, and it's just, it's all piano. And the same uh, composer who scored No Man Land also scored The Father. So I, I wonder if that might, uh, you know, you might have a type, Maria. <laughs> <laughs> you never know, right? <laughs> yeah. About, yeah. So about Ammonite, um, ironically, and, and again, to your point, I guess, Dakota, it, 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 when I read the summary, it did sound very much like Portrait of a Lady on Fire. And I saw that. And, and unfortunately, I didn't get it. There was a lot of people, there was a lot of buzz about it. And I walked away going, oh, it's good, but I, I don't see why it's great. Mm -hmm. So I think part of that is once I saw that it was very similar, I, I pretty much kind of said, been there, done that, right? Interesting. And then, and I think the challenge with Ammonite, and that's why it may not have gone further, because they limited the screening, mm -hmm. right? And by the, by the time that the regular TIFF goers were purchasing tickets, none were available where are we going to get word of mouth, right? Yeah. Where, you know, regular film goers didn't get the chance to see that. And, and you know, in some respects, Bruised. For all we know, Bruised might have been great. I, I don't know, <laughs> right? Yeah, that, that was one where I kind of put it in the category of Good Joe Bell. I know Halle Berry's kind of had a bit of a spotty track record post-Monsters Ball. And I was like, well, this could either be a surprising, you know, front runner for the Oscars, or this could be a complete mess. Because it's Halle Berry and we don't really know what to expect. And so I, I, I didn't quite make it. It was my honorable mention. And so I'm, I'm definitely interested to see. And I wouldn't be surprised if with both Ammonite and Bruise that it sort of bit themselves in the butt by the studios refusing to allow greater access to it. Because we're in this time where, frankly, there could be unlimited digital screenings. We are not bound by seats. We are not bound by cars at the drive-in. They could do unlimited. Obviously, you don't want that because then piracy issues or whatever might be a bigger concern. But I don't know. I haven't heard a good enough answer as to why they were limiting these digital screens to the extent that they were. Yeah, and even more, I mean, ironic is Bruce, if I'm not mistaken, was bought by Netflix. <laughs> Right. So, I mean, it could be that, but they would stream it anyway. Yep. So I would think anybody who has a Netflix account would get to watch it. Mm -hmm. So why limit it? Otherwise, you'll get a lot of momentum going out before it gets the, got the Netflix deal. But that's that's just a bit of a silver point. Yeah, because there's people like like you and uh, and me where we're going to festivals and we're trying to see things. We're not exactly the same customer as you fire up Netflix and be like, oh, what's the newest release? Oh, a Halle Berry movie. Great. I'll throw that on. It's completely different audiences. Yeah. yeah. And I will say I will say the bruise, I think, will will probably do pretty well on Netflix. I mean, I, I looking at the trailer and, and, and seeing that type of movie, it does look like of all the films that, that premiered at the festival, it seems like it has the most mainstream appeal. Um, mm. You know, big name. I think it would have been certainly a, a big red carpet event, you know, had it had they done the, the in-person screening of it. Uh, but it is very upsetting, I would say, that that we were limited to, to these screens. I know, um, I will say, uh, One Night in Miami, I think, was picked up by Amazon. So that should be available for streaming, you know, worldwide, within a, a month or two. So the people who want to see that get that luxury. I think in another year, I would have been extremely disappointed by the, uh, by the fact that theaters aren't really open and allowing big audiences. That's probably the, the best hope that the movie has for, for getting a wide mm -hmm. audiences. 
Mm-hmm. All right. Now, the last question I have is as far as looking forward to the Oscars, what sort of movies? I know we you both just talked about Nomadland and Francis McDermott clearly being a front runner and, and the movie itself being a front runner for director and picture. What other movies that you saw do you think are going to be front runners for, for the big categories, whether it's best picture, best leading actor, actress, supporting actor, actress? What sort of stuff do we need to sort of keep our eye on? Maria, we'll start with you. Oh my goodness. Are we talking just the festival or just in general? Uh, the, the movies that you saw at this festival, what do you think? Just because um, TIFF as nature uh, usually is a great precursor for what we can expect for award season. No, no fair point. So um, Nomadland, um, hands down, I think is, we know it's going to do well. Um, I'll, I'll echo the father as well. I think it will do well in the acting category. It might it might get both um, Anthony Hopkins is almost a shoe-in for that, I wonder if Olivia Coleman might get might get nominated Will for she best be actress. Lead actress or might be supporting. Okay. I think it'd be a supporting supporting role. Um, I I may need to think on that one. I wonder if One Night in Miami might get some mention, mm-hmm. right? Sure. If not, is it more of an ensemble be, piece? I, it is an ensemble piece. I think that's the challenge. Acting-wise, I think they'll cancel each other out, but maybe screenplay okay. might do well on screenplay. That's pretty tight as far as as far as the conversations or discussions that they had. Um, but beyond, I, I wonder if if another round becomes Denmark's um, film for international. I guess it's called it. Is it still called international? It's international um, film now. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, it may, they might pick that, and I think it would do well. Um, I can't think of any other um, international film. Although from from the from New Order, I just want to mention that New Order I think is from Mexico, and that was actually quite interesting. It, it you know if if you have the opportunity, you might need to pick that one up. It's about pretty much um, it's a class issue. Um, it's where the lower class seems to have revolted against the rich people. Mm-hmm. So really, really interesting concepts. I don't know if Mexico picks that, it, it could be a bit of a, I'll say it again, dark horse, but um, yeah, beyond that, I think I need to kind of mull it, mull it over what else from what I've seen that really kind of in, left an impression. Mm-hmm. Now I know you're clearly a big fan of another round with Thomas Vinterberg previously getting the hunt in the, what was then called best foreign language film nominee. I would assume that they're probably going to be close to a lock for, for Denmark's submission and probably close to a lock for actually getting the nomination itself. But as far as the actual performance goes, does Mad Mickelson sort of lead the film enough? Do you think that he's going to be a player in the best actor film? I know we can look at something like Parasite last year where despite it winning Best Picture, didn't pick up any acting nominations yeah. because it's more of an ensemble film and they're more unknowns, whereas Mad Mickelson is much more of a known quantity in North America. I, I would say, unfortunately, I think he'll be overlooked, mm, right? Yeah. Just, just knowing just knowing how the Oscars work, mm-hmm. you know, in many respects, it's not usually the best that really win or even get nominated. It's more of, it's popularity, right? Yeah. And while he, he is, you know, while American audiences may know him because of his, his work in TV and as playing Hannibal, I don't, I don't think they'll, number one, I don't even know if they'll even watch the film because it is subtitled. I mean, that's an unfortunate part. Parasite is, just seems to be the aberration of, of, uh, of the international films. Well, there's a few others, but that hasn't been a lot, shall mm-hmm. we say. So I, I honestly think he's going to get overlooked. Interesting. Okay. And John, what about you? What do you think are, are sort of ones we should keep our eyes on? 
Yeah, I think it's it's going to be really interesting this year, right? <clears throat> because we have such a small number. I mean, you can see it at TIFF. You know, usually we have 300 plus films and this year it was 70. So, so I think the selection is going to be a lot smaller than it would be in normal years. So I think there is a higher likelihood that, you know, someone like Mads could get that that best actor nomination but i i don't i don't see it likely i think more likely you know due to the due to the nature of the academy awards uh and it being a popularity contest i could see naomi watts getting uh, a, a best actress nomination for her for her role in penguin bloom that was a film i saw didn't stand out um but it but she did deliver a pretty pretty top-notch performance and it was not definitely not a, an ensemble piece. It was pretty much her front and center for the, for the entire film. Um, I think uh, Nomadland definitely um, could be a shoe in for for a uh, best director uh, nom. I think it also could get uh, best best original score um, that that nomination as well. I mean, I, I talk about it a lot because because I I really enjoyed <laughs> it. But um, yeah, I think uh, other than echoing everything Maria said, I I would say um, that that pretty much covers it. I mean. Regina King maybe for for one night um I think I think I think one night could could be a shoe in for a lot of awards a lot of nominations just because I think it will be so widely de- seen right you know Amazon picking it up everyone's going to be seeing this come award season and so I think there'll be a lot of buzz around it I think it's very prevalent this year and I think uh the academy will recognize that um so yeah they they could certainly give Regina King um, and I, I don't know, uh, I, I don't think, uh, it would probably get, uh, best adapted screenplay, um, yeah. since it is based on a stage play. What about, um, um, but I, I Leslie could, Odom I, Jr., who is probably the most yeah. well-known cast member, especially due to his popularity in Hamilton. Do you think he might be a contender for supporting actor? Yeah, no, certainly. Uh, certainly. Interesting. I think of the lot, yeah, of the lot of the four of them, and aside from being the most recognized one, I think he's the one that delivered the best deliver the character the best shall we say because yeah so i i, I would uh, of while it's an ensemble piece i think he he was the one that's a standout now he plays sam cook in the film do we get to hear him sing as sam cook i i don't think so i don't i yeah, don't remember sorry. any singing no oh wow that's almost disappointing in uh, my <laughs> no he sang in the end but not um, as sam cook oh yeah yes that's sam cook he does? Okay. Interesting. Yeah, he sings, change is going to come. I, I think I, that was part of, I think, the arc of the character, right? Because oh. he did a lot of fluffy kind of, um, how was it, love songs. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the, the whole concept is Malcolm trying to push him and saying, you need to create an impact. And he kind of points to Bob Dylan saying, why are we, why is, you know, why is this man speaking our cause mm-hmm. it needs to be us and that's how we kind of see the arc of leslie or at least that's how they kind of interpreted it by by starting to sing at the end about change is going to come well that makes me very excited because he has a fantastic voice and i'm a huge sam cook fan <laughs> well, yes certainly awesome i think that was absolutely terrific the two of you imbued so much knowledge i'm so excited to see all these films maria you are the the tiff veteran thank you so much for for sharing all of your knowledge and all the different films that you saw well thank you very much for having me uh, i think this this is an opportunity really to chat about films that we lost 
because before I would chat with people while you're waiting outside of the Ryerson, right? So what did you see? What did you think? Not having that opportunity. Thank you very much for, for giving me this chance. It was my pleasure, John. And you being the, the newbie and never doing a festival like this before, it was awesome to sort of hear your experience and see how much you enjoyed it. Yeah, no, th- thank you very much. I mean, having a having a discussion like this with you, Dakota and, and Maria has has been fantastic and, and is something I think I would have really enjoyed doing in person. And so it just makes me excited for the opportunity, hopefully next year, but but probably in two years to, to do it again, but but in Toronto. Film is meant to be discussed and maybe next year outside uh, the light box, we can all talk about what we've been seeing. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, John and Maria. It's been a real pleasure. Great. Thank you, Dakota. No, I'm just going to take a little walk. Okay. Be back soon. Once again, I do want to thank both uh, John and Maria for coming on the show. They were very knowledgeable, very intelligent, very articulate, and I just think this was a fantastic episode. I learned so much and I'm I'm even more excited for the different movies that came out, especially for seeing Nomadland with, uh, with it being the people's choice winner. That about wraps up this episode. Thank you so much for listening. I want to thank Eric and Kevin Smale for the theme music and Stephanie Pryor for the logo design. Thank you to Aesthetic Magazine for presenting the show. Follow the show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at ContraZoomPod. Uh, and please check out ContraZoomPod.com for all your CZP needs and bookmark it because there's going to be tons of cool stuff there in the future. The show notes are going to be up there with links for all the different movies that we saw that we talked about on this episode. And uh, if you could also please rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts, uh, especially on iTunes, it really helps us grow and find new listeners. And if you do, send me a screenshot to ContraZoomPod at gmail.com and I'll send you some free swag. Uh, because I'm making some cool stuff and I want to share it with everyone, but first with the with the loyal listeners who are helping to spread the show. So once again, thank you to John and Maria for coming on, and thank you for listening.